I've always said you're only as strong as your weakest link. And in a band, and that can be for any organisation, in a band, if it's your sound guy, it doesn't matter how good you play, it's going to sound really average. So it's, it's critical. I remember when Parkway Drive hit the first, they've had multiple peaks where you didn't think they could get any bigger and then they would get even bigger. Now they're a giant international band. Yeah. But they were already the biggest heavy band in Australia at the time. And they did part of their tour and it included Aubrey with a guy that had a reputation of just turning everything up to 10. Yeah. And it was so loud. Yeah. It was outrageous. Yeah. And this was a band that it was like it was literally outrageous. Outrageous. <laughs> it, outrageous. Was, it wasn't it wasn't as loud. Take my earplugs out. Yeah, it wasn't as loud as Airborne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was a they're a different kind of sound that's yeah. maybe a bit harder to control. And they put on the performance of a lifetime yeah. at Sodans in terms of what visually they put yeah. on an incredible stage show. Yep. Yeah. And I've never seen a band at that level have people starting to walk out of the room so they could get further away from the sound. Yeah. And like, okay, well, their weakest link was clearly they'd hired a guy on reputation yep. but didn't really have anyone keeping an eye on yeah. the, the quality that they were producing for the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of young bands, are, are, are to, and I'm not saying they are because they are Oh, they were young at the time compared yeah. to now, yeah. But but when bands start out, it's all about turn up as loud as you can and, and go for it and it creates the best sound and it's not the case. <laughs> um, Unnecessarily loud, I call it. Like yeah. you just lose so much. Yep. Like ambience. Yeah, no, ambience no one's ever said, just- oh, this band's way too quiet. But no. Not that I, a lot of people have said they're too loud. So, you know, sound guys will look at reinforcement as opposed to total control. So reinforcement is like going into a venue and saying, all right, well, you know, the sound, the snare drum is, is quite loud in here. I might not need to, say, mic the snare, but I might need to put a mic on the kit and maybe an over, uh, you know. An overhead. Uh, overhead. Yeah. And that'll pick up the rest of the kit. So that's sort of reinforcing the sound. It's not having total control over every single part of the kit or or anything like that. So when that happens, you know, that's a sound guy that's looking at the venue and saying, this is going to suit the best for the evening if I do this. Now, if you're a young kid, Luke Clevier, he had a piccolo snare, right? And this is a trend, but it gets to the point. They're really thin. And at Soundcheck, he would hit it soft. <laughs> you know, we were young. <laughs> Yeah. And then the first song, he'd belt the crap out of it. <laughs> it's just like yeah. we're, we're, not, we're, we're defeating the purpose here. But I yeah. thought that was cool back then anyway, and we laughed. So yeah. the kids have got to understand, or young musicians have got to understand, to work within the venue. And the SSNA at the moment is a great example. They've got noise restrictions. You can't go over a certain level. We are going to be really, really soft when the, my new band plays plays in there. But it's catering for the, where the venue is at the moment. It's not catering for it, catering for it like it was pre-COVID with six, seven hundred people. Mm. And if you're at Sodans and the acoustics are this and that, then let the sound guys do what they have to do to create the best possible. But sorry, before you go, what causes a huge problem with musicians, young people or inexperienced people? They think that the grunt, the force behind a band and the energy is actual volume. It's nothing to do with volume. It's got to do with the groove and the feel and the the whole aspect of playing. Mm. You don't turn on an amp at 10 and go, we are really kicking ass because yeah. it's not. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's the case. It's a constant battle to reinforce <laughs> uh, that, that message in different ways. Yeah. So you just touched on SSNA, which brings me to I want to talk yeah. a, about a love story. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. I love him. <laughs> the love story of you and Bob Harris. Yeah. And I'm not sure whether his wife's happy about it <laughs> or not, but- Bob and I keep it separate from his there, wife. There's something <laughs> yeah. from when we talked to Bob and just how fondly he spoke about you. There's there's definitely something between you. And I would, well, probably, can you explain? Yeah, look, uh, uh, he's an incredible man and it's a connection. And I think, you know, when you connect with someone, there's millions and millions of people around the world that you connect with, but you might not meet them because you're in a different location. So... It's very special when you come across someone that you just have a, a connection with, and that's definitely with Bob and I. Now, Bob's run the venue for a long, long time, and not once have we had any disagreements, not once have we had bad words or anything like that. It started, they were having trouble, the club was having trouble, and financially they were getting back on, the, back on track, and, and they did that through live music. And it was building slowly and Bob put a, um, you may have played, I don't know, Josh, but Bob put a, a constant show together where it was Battle of the Sounds. And one evening I thought, okay, I'm going to go and have a listen. And I went down there and it was the grand final. And I was listening to the bands and a certain band won and the MC kind of said, well, why did, why did you choose this band, and they said, well, I kind of like, I'll never forget it, I kind of like the colour of their shoes. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And I thought, okay, now Bob's wanting to create, you know, a real uh, community again and, and bring the people out, and he's starting with the right process of getting these bands up and running, and he's giving away, or the club is giving away thousands of dollars of prizes. So... When judges choose a band because because the colour of their shoes, I do. I remember it. That's exactly yeah, what was said. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I was sitting there, and I think there's no credibility about this. You know, it can't. People, the musicians are going to get pissed off because there's just you just can't have that. So I knew who Bob was, and I said said to him on the night, you know, we've got to come and chat. And so the next day, I came in and. He goes, you're cranky, cranky, cranky. And I was like, yes, I am because this can't happen. And anyway, I said, Bob, you can't, you know, have this wonderful idea and have all these people here and give away thousands of dollars of gear when there's no real understanding of, you know, uh, the judges choosing the best bands. So this is what happens at a VCE level in school. We have a thing called a rubric and – with that, we have elements. So we might might say music craft, you know, stagecraft. So that that let's say stagecraft is how you participate with the audience, how you participate with the band and all that. So stagecraft. And you go one to five. I'll do this real quick. And you go one is not such a good comment. Two's okay. Three is pretty average, but it's going good. Four is really good and five is the best. So then you can get, and you have all these different elements, whatever it may be, through performance of music. So you can have any judge. 
You can have a musician, you can have a, a painter, you can have anyone, as long as they read what they believe in themselves and go, oh, I thought that, I thought that. So I might be sitting on the judging panel with someone that thinks it was brilliant, but I think it's quite crap. And then the judge and then the points come together and they're done through that process and it's fair and it's it's considered to be, you know, a reasonable way of looking at who was best on the night. And he looked at me and he goes, okay, so I think the following year we implemented that and I got some judges and that and we just did this rubric and I, I believe, and Josh, I think you were involved with it as you said, the following year bands came back and whether they liked the decision or not is irrelevant, but it was a fair decision because there was four or five people looking at you know, a judging criteria and they could make up their minds and it, it gained credibility. And then from that point, Bob and I, you know, he just thought this guy's genuine and I knew he was genuine and it, it hasn't changed. So you offered constructive criticism and he took it. Uh, yeah, well, this is, we're not teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not teenagers. Um, and at that point, I, I really wasn't doing much, you know, do, doing much in town, and then I got. Uh, I think when was that, Josh? What it must have been before two thirteen. It was oh. the year that we were in. I think the original version of that was twenty eleven. Yeah, and then the year you're talking about with the shoe incident, I think it was twenty twelve. Yeah, and then that must have been twenty thirteen. Shoe incident. So yeah. I, I got. I, I got, think the name wasn't the same name when we did it. No, but. Yeah, we'd had our time. I think we came second overall, so we didn't yep. participate. But I went and watched all. Because you had shit shoes. I went. Yeah, I wasn't allowed in the place. <laughs> yeah, the judge so, was the judge was fighting me at the door. You're yeah. not coming in here. Yeah, so that was, and then I got sick in 2013, and I spent years away from community and everything. Yep. So yeah, that was pre then, and through my sickness, Bob was always constant. You know how are you, mate? Not. Not all the time, but he was regular, you know, like he just, yep, yep. And uh, it just grew from there. And then the whole Monday Saints thing started and Yeah, tell, tell us about that. Firstly, when you are sick, it's it's interesting how people that you've rolled through with life just drop off yeah, the radar. big time. People that you think you've got relationship. One of the big lessons that I've learned, and I haven't had nearly as much No, remember stuff what as, we said earlier? No, 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 no. <laughs> but it, in yeah. my comparative yeah. to you yeah. was that you have many, many acquaintances in life that you're brought together with as a byproduct of what you're doing yeah, exactly. at the time. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean that those relationships aren't significant at the time, nor can you not roll back into them, but- something quite crucial like you dropping off the radar really comes to head of like who are legitimate Absolutely. friends and who are just there as a byproduct of what you're doing. Absolutely. Planets collide for certain, you know, times and reasons and people come in your life at certain points and then they – then they move away. Dad always used to say to me that you'll have many people come and go. The, the genuine ones will stay with you. And there was there was a lot, a lot of local musos that just, fire oh yeah, man. Adam's, he's just really, you know, he's really short and he's just not, I just don't want to deal with him. And I, I respect that because I was quite manic through, no one knew what was, it was, mm. I just changed. And, but there was a lot of people that 
came back. And in fact, Dom Alessi was one of them that we, we lost contact. He went off to uni, the kid that I started playing music with. Yeah. And out of the blue, we just rekindled and he didn't, he wrote a, an album and he just wanted me to play bass on it. He's very good. And um, he just, he didn't care. He just, you just, you be you because I know who you are. And yeah, it's, you learn a lot. If you like us, like I like us, get onto punchingsideways.com, give us a bit of a likesy, have a bit of an exploration around and maybe buy us a coffee. Just briefly, because you've touched on a little bit, tell us, you said you just went through this manic point. Yeah. So you've, we've talked about how you were and like you were a god. Uh, like you said, I was just doing me this playing. is my perception yeah, of you right, got on okay. there and you owned the stage oh, yes, and yeah, the of persona yeah, 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 and everything yeah, like this. Yeah. And then what was it like to get just cut off? Like basically well, everything that you've worked for is. I think what I went through, uh, I had to, I just had to acknowledge that it was happening and accept what was going on and to be quite honest there was just so much that I had to deal with that music it was not even a, a thought process but one, one thing that was really sad is that I was sitting out the front of mum and dad's place and they're in a little um, what are you like a terrace so you can't there's no through road you got to and mum and dad's house was at the the bottom of this thing and our I recognised this car that drove up, obviously lost, and I recognised the person in the car. And I was sitting out the front on the lawn, and they drove past, the musician, and did a Yui, and as they're driving past, they put their head down because they didn't want to see me. Mm. Um, it's just like hiding away from themselves. So, you know, and I thought, well, I know this person, um, and that was really – disappointing for me and it broke my heart and I thought okay well that's just the way it is I I can't expect people to uh, what happened to me the tumor was in the frontal temporal lobe that does all your personality and memories and you become irritable if there was a analog clock in here now and it was ticking it was like a time bomb so I don't I don't get upset at people now for leaving me you know but it hurt real bad at the time with people that I thought had, you know, had my back. Yeah. Firstly, I'm really sorry that that's what happened, mate. Oh, that's but all right, mate. Yeah. Just that leads to how did you, and to tie this back to Bob and where we yeah, were going. Yeah, of how course. Did, sorry, how did you? No, it's fine. Yeah. How did you, it was important. Yeah. How did you come to the point where you'd conceptualise this thing that we're, that really the- yeah, the crux of the whole thing was you were bringing all these people together that may have been disparate talents or disparate yeah. people into a massive collective. Yeah. That yeah, like my best friend or yeah. two of my my two best friends, yeah. Rudy and Dan, yeah. still say it's among the greatest yeah. memories they have, not just musical yeah. playing uh, in Monday Saints. It's the greatest memories I have, and there's been plenty of them. And how it how it happened was. Um, Bob rang me one day and he, he said it was about 2.14, 2.15 and I, I thought I was starting to feel better. And I said, yeah, mate, I'm doing all right, you know. I think I'm, I'm ready to get back out there. I'm not ready to play, um, but I, I think I can do stuff. And he says, mate, I, I, we're getting bands from the cities that are really average 
charging me loads and loads and loads. I said, okay, no worries. And Bob's always been a lover of music and especially for local musicians. He's just, a, you know, unbelievable about that. And I said, look, I got an idea I've been throwing around. What about if we have a community band? And, you know, I facilitate. So I go back to my teaching because I was a teacher for 25 years and I had to stop. So I go back to my teaching and I think, all right, well, how about I facilitate this? And if we have a community band where we do concept shows, and I'm explaining this to Bob, not in this great detail because I didn't really know. I was just flying by the seat of my pants with a lot of stuff. And so we can bring people together. We won't rehearse a lot because there'll be multiple bass players or drummers and you know, over time they might have four songs each and will come and, you know, there'll be 25 musos in a band. He says, you're crazy. And I said, oh, let's give it a go. And I put the feelers out there and it just, it was accepted and it was took off, it took off because of the local, not me, not Bob, took off because of you guys, the local musos in town. You know, I said to them, this is not about your individual bands. This is nothing. We are Monday Saints that came up with the name and we come under this one banner as one. And it's not mine. It's not yours. It's ours. And if we have the same thought process of this, we will succeed. And the reason why I wanted to go on with this is because I had to get back into the community. I I mean the community, not only the music community. I just mean going down to buy a coffee and, oh, there's Adam. A great friend of mine, Bruce Thompson, said, if you don't see Adam, he's not going so well, you know. And there was years where I didn't walk down Dean Street. So I had to get out there and I thought, this is a way where I can re-engage myself back into the community. With purpose. With purpose. And I knew that if I had control of it in a way of organising the things, not being, you know, a, a dictator and saying, this must happen, but... I could work at my own time, you know, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning if I'm awake and I can get it happening. And then, you know, it just, things fell into place. Facebook, you know, Messenger, I thought that works really well because I can see Josh has seen that message and I need to for him to see that. You know, David hasn't seen it, you know. You know, Bella has seen it. So, and then I, and it worked. And the musicians of Aubrey Wodonga just took it on board and- the first show was a success. Everyone learnt their parts. Uh, there was no pressure. They had three months to learn four songs. Be prepared at home. Come to rehearsals and put on the show. And we did it with two or three rehearsals per what show. Do you think it was that created that buy-in? Was it the fact that you know all these? blow-ins that were coming in and getting the gigs and they wanted to sort of get the space no, back or what? No, I don't think the musos, the local musos had an idea of what was happening at the SSNA. I, I think, you know, obviously Bob was so supportive of all these ideas. He had this catchphrase. He always does it, now Adam. <laughs> you know, that's his saying, now Adam. He might say, now Josh. Uh, okay, Bob's serious now. <laughs> How's this going? I said, I don't know, mate, but we'll work it out. Um, <laughs> the buy-in was that I just think, I don't really know. It was something that was so special that it's hard to explain, but there was musos in there that left me during those dark days and I knew I'm going to work with some of these people that have said some terrible things and this and that. 
and so forth. Because it is a, it's in, sometimes it was, it was a pretty horrid sort of situation at times. But I let all that go, and I, I just think the experience of coming together as a team and realizing that, you know, holy shit, this is our project. This is not Adam's thing. It worked. Um, it it worked. Uh, and it's, it's well, a- I personally made the dickhead decision of not yeah, wanting to be involved early on. I know. Yeah. And I think a lot of it had to do with that I disconnected a bit from the music scene. Yeah. And I didn't see that my first re-entry would ever be through playing covers. Yeah. Like, I just couldn't conceptualise it. Yeah. And as soon as, well, when I saw that first gig- yeah. Actually, no, I think I might have missed the first one. Yeah. I think I came to the second yeah. version of Sounds of Seattle. Yeah. I yeah. was like, holy crap, yeah. I've missed out on something pretty special here because my two best mates look like they're having more fun than they ever had playing a gig with me. Like, yeah. I just I yeah, felt like, yeah. yeah, so that was a bad decision. And, and I think <laughs> one of the reasons why it was I, I, I thought of the idea is, is, is actually musicians like yourself, Josh, like, that it may have not done a lot uh, in recent times in the industry and thought, you know what, hey, I've only got to do four songs here and I'm just going to get up and another guitarist is going to – because everyone rotated. It was yeah. crazy. People come on and off, on and off. Had Sounds to organize. like a sound guy's nightmare. Well, no, no, <laughs> because all the, the PA, uh, all the back line was the same. The bass yeah. players would just plug in and it was just, you know, you'd do two songs in the walk. I had to, cor- you know – Make sure it was almost like you had you were bringing people on an interchange bench. It, it was, like it was, it was that coordinated. So, <laughs> so the drummers, you know, they walked off after two. So, and this guy came on, and then the singers, I didn't have to worry about singers because they just had to walk on. This guy had to plug his guitar. It was a lot, but it worked, and everyone bought into it. And it really was set up for you know getting musicians out and connecting once again. And, um, but it was yeah. more than one generation of players, though, because the music you might think, oh well, it was having a bit of a nostalgic comeback. Yep. That might yep. that probably did help. Yep. That nineties music was becoming cool again in a way. But yeah. there was people from a whole generation younger, like what? yeah, Jake Casey's. They weren't. They love grunge, like Jake loves that's grunge, right. but he wasn't living it like some of you guys no, did. Exactly, and and that's a great point. So there was twelve shows we did over the the years, and there was different concepts and. One of them was an Aussie rock show, and I had Ken playing bass, 61, and young Tom was playing bass, and he, he turned 21. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and we're in the boardroom of the SSNA with 25 musos about to go and play a show, and I, I looked at Tom and I looked at Ken and I thought, there's you know, 40 years difference there. They're sharing something special tonight. And then I looked at Chris Seymour, who Chris was – in the goats, sons of motherless goats, and and uh, he had this swagger about it. Like I was a young kid, dad used to take me to all these bands, and he I just idolised the guy because when he walked into a venue, he was like, yeah, this is, and he was sitting there, and then Bruce Bruce Gregory decided to play in a gig, and then all the all the local all, legends, yeah. all yeah, all yeah. these people just came <laughs> and started playing these these shows, and it was just like, whoa, this is getting. <laughs> It was never out of hand, but it was just something really, really special. And I just kept saying, it only works because it's your band. It's not mine. It's it's Aubrey Wodonga's band. Did you ever play? I played one song and that was it. So uh, there was- One song per event or one song? One song in, in the whole thing. And <laughs> I said to Bob, I'm doing this for other reasons. I never got paid a cent for anything. And the SSNA club, let's be honest, 
through those. There was six, 700 people at some of these gigs, thousands upon thousands of dollars, and that was fantastic. I never looked at that and thought, you know, that's cool. So not one cent, never about getting on stage and and watching Adam play. It was just about me getting musicians to work together and have an experience where they wouldn't have had. Which drives me back to the point of yeah. because you didn't have that vested I'm on stage yeah. Yeah. interest. Yeah. Do you think that's why it actually worked? Uh, absolutely. I think if I uh, – and you're right. I think if I push this as Adam's thing and I'm playing, you know, I'm the bass player for these shows and this and that, there wouldn't have been that that support. I went to the Seattle guys and I said to Rudy, mate, I've never played this song ever in my life and I want to play it because I, all we were doing is Pearl Jam back in the day and that. And it was black and he was singing it and – you know, Dan Hines just walked off. I grabbed my fretless, played it, and it was that was the only song that I did. I tell a lie. I played the last Powderfinger show. I played half of Like a Dog, and then got Michael Christian, yeah, to play the rest of it because I called Bob up. It was the end. Of, that was the last show, and got him to play the tambourine on one and three. He can't. The guy can't tap on two and four. It's so annoying. <laughs> so. <laughs> That brings us to something that doesn't get brought up very much in discussions like this. When did you know that Monday Saints was, like you said, you did 10 shows over that period? Yeah, 10 When did you know that the, maybe not that the concept had run its course, but was it something people kept asking you to do and you had final say of, well, I've probably put it, the energy I can into that or is it something you've wanted to do since? Like I'm just unclear. No, is, what's uh, the future yeah, of the project, so I guess? So what happened is that so since the initial – I'll go back to the health. The tumour came along and then I, I didn't have reoccurrence. I was starting to get some – of you get to know your body really well. I was starting to get some of these uh, experiences that, I was, that I've had in the past and I knew something fishy was going on and I thought, all right, this Powderfinger show is going to be the last one. It was really – successful thankfully but i've got to call it quits because i believe that i've got a challenge in front of me so essentially i stopped it for that reason and i also and this will be funny because i'm a collingwood supporter but i think of tim watson and you go what are you talking about tim watson tim was this young kid that played you know 15 or 16 i think he started playing footy and he retired and he retired as a champion and then he came back and he wasn't nowhere near what he was. Mm-hmm. And I thought, there's only one way for Monday Saints to finish, and that's on top. That's my personality. We're not going to – we are going to, you know, do this. And there was – it was packed. And the show was incredible. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to deal with some health here. I had an, an inkling that things are going wrong there. And we finished on top. And – that was it. So there was no more Monday Saints about it. There was absolutely nothing more. And then COVID came about and Bob said, what about if we do a ticketed event and try and get something up? And I said, all right, we'll give it a shot. So we got about 70% there with the show. And I said, how's it going, mate? This is when you, you, you know, we're morphing into, oh, we're allowed to have bands and we're not allowed, you know, the COVID, yeah, where mm. – and it was just so unpredictable. Nothing. And I said, Bob, we can't do this. I don't want to. I don't want to do it when it's gonna 
finish on that. I want to finish on the show that we did at the end. Yeah, makes so, sense. Yeah. You kind of birthed and kind of curated, well, a, a level of collegial integration in bands that I've never really seen. Absolutely. But also multiple bands that broke off from Monday Saints, like, oh, we all work really good together, but yeah. as a particular group, we really love Pearl Jam specifically. Yeah. Or yeah. we really love yeah. this era of that particular genre yeah. that we played on a Monday Saint show. Yeah. So it kind of has little baby bands. It was incredible. Of- <laughs> and the, the it's birthed some babies. Yeah, the good thing out of that when it was finished. Unprotected music. Yeah, it's yeah, unprotected. Yeah. <laughs> the good thing with that, when it was when it was finished, you know, Dale ended up playing with Glenn and, and Matt and you know, this is a kid that I taught at high school that no one knew of. You know, Henry went off and played with those guys. I forgot forgot their name. Apologise for that. Um, and then Haley DeCruyff, like, played with Ru- – now, yeah. Haley was this drummer at school that was a monster. Mm, she's and, incredible. Yeah, and I said, you know, at school I was just going, oh, geez, this girl is just phenomenal. And I just – Is that Heavy Revy? Yeah. yeah. She yeah. played with Forgotten Kings in, yeah. with Rudy and Dan. Yeah, yeah and she I, was awesome. And I said to her, you've got to come along and, and people have got to get to know who you are in Monday Saints. Yep, done. Yep. She played in one of those massive rocks, one of those big songs that just blew everyone away and ended up playing in that band, Forgotten yeah. Kings, you know, you know, King Jeremy Dale's still in that. All these bands were, you know, people walking down the street and running, running into, you know, Bruce Gre- Gregory and saying hi, who, who would not even know who he was. Because he participated in one of the shows. That's yeah. the best. It's pretty okay. cool. So why, given we've just had that whole narrative of like it's on the shelf, yeah, we're running on this nostalgia, you and Bob. Bob said that he also sort of thought maybe keep it on that high and those yep. memories and the yep. goosebumps and everything. So let's talk about the risk factor yeah. of not only wanting to – you know, do something similar. But where do you sit now? Because we've got Y2K yeah. coming up. Yep. Which not the same, obviously. No. It's, it's a different just, name. It's, it's a different name. Oh, so yeah. It's completely nothing. not the same. Yeah. But people will be putting it in the same yeah, look, subset. I, I think what happened when I – so I, I, got, I got really well and I got headhunted to play in a band that toured all over Australia for two and a half years from Cairns to Margaret River – and everywhere in between. And they were big, big shows, you know, 85, 90% ticket sales capacity generally was was what I was dealing with. So what was that? It was a in excess group called Don't Change. Yeah. To the point where when COVID hit, we had a European tour and had a, a residency 85% booked up for Vegas. It was – the guys are still going now. They're playing weekend gigs and doing a really good job and, you know, still continuing on. So I had the two brain surgeries during that two-year period. I had to call it a day because it was just uh, you, you can't play at a certain standard. You, you need to be there. So that stopped and then I thought, well, again, I've got to get back out of the community and I spoke to some people around town about doing some musicals after the second surgery. I wanted to know how my brain worked. And then I thought, I've got to do this to see where I'm at. I've got to put a local band together to see where I'm at and to see if I can cope with all that sort of stuff. So the last six, seven, eight months, because it was only a year ago I had the operation, was all about me trying to get myself back into the scene again and see if I can cope with it. 
So that was the first reason why Y2K came about and why I did these, you know, three or four musicals that I've just finished off. It was about getting right again. And it was also about create, you know, talking to Bob and trying to get the, – the studio will never be what it was pre-COVID, but it can still be a good venue for bands. And, you know, it's gone from a six 700 capacity footprint down to 180 um, because of pokies winning. And I said, Bob, I need to do – and he said, yep, sure, Adam, no worries. Again, that friendship, let's do this, let's see what happens. And it's not about really – you know, showing everyone Adam is in this band and it's going to be phenomenal and I expect all this. It's, you know, I've gone through all that. I don't need to prove anything or anything like that. This is about getting a local band together, have some fun, have a capacity to, you know, potentially work really hard at it because it could progress to something else and just getting into the venue, helping Bob and seeing if we can create, you know, some sort of vibe again. Josh mentioned something to me earlier was how ingrained and happy you seem to be a bass player. Yeah. Which isn't the narrative always. It's always like a demotion almost. <laughs> yeah. I'm all saying all that the, from no, no. Like all the a, frustrated guitarist gets put on bass. Yeah, that can be – I've never looked at it like that, and and it can be seen like that. But you know, uh, when you get a chippy in to build a kitchen, and they build it unbelievably brilliant, and then another person goes in and it's pretty average, you kind of think, well, what makes that person want to aspire to to be better? So m- m- the reason why I say that is that. There's a thought process that, yeah, people look at that and there's a bit of a joke. And if I, all I wanted to do was just go boom, 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 boom and play music like that, then I would have been that bass player. But I thought, nah, there's more to it than this. And, you know, I was set in my ways, grunge was it, Flea was my man, and I didn't care about anyone else as a bass player, Flea, so he's not the grunge thing, but in the world but then there was a realization that oh geez this instrument is incredible and then you start exploring different genres of music and different musicians and then they're world class and then they're respected and then you fall in love with it because you're learning about something that you didn't think you just thought it went boom 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 like the carpenter (laughs) putting a you know a door together in the kitchen Well, this is one way you can do it. Oh, gee, that's real clever. You know, so it's the love of exploring whether whatever in industry you're in mm. and or whatever you're doing. I, I just love it that you love bass because people often are surprised that yeah. my favourite musician as a standalone yeah. musician, who's the, your biggest musical inspiration, is Justin Chancellor from Tool. Yeah. Who's their bass player. Yeah. In a band with Maynard yeah. and Danny Carey. Yeah. Who are regarded as maybe the best ever yeah. at their particular thing. Yeah. I like the bass player. Yeah. And people are always confused about that. Yeah. It's because he loves that instrument more than anything else. Absolutely. Yeah. His sound, his tone, everything. He is the, that. And I, I think the other thing too is that I'm not a gifted musician, so I'm not a multi-instrumentalist. I, I've worked hard to play bass I can't. I can play chords on a guitar and I can play a bit of drums, but I would never walk out and do it. 
So that's all I have. So explore the instrument and find out that you can play beautiful tapping things. You can play harmonics. You can do slap. You can do this. You can play a jazz gig. You can play a musical. You can play a rock gig. And then just look at that for inspiration. And, you know, um, I'm pretty lucky that I've worked hard to be able to to have the capacity to play all styles of music and all sort of techniques. It's great. Well, yeah. we, we haven't had to work all that hard today. You've been amazing, mate. We'll probably- you, uh, This is two and a half hours later. <laughs> we'll just finish up. Thank you for making the oh, time. It's been it's awesome. Amazing. Really I appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for, for people at home. They won't know, but they will now, for being uh, the very first guest in the new studio. So, yeah, thank you. Really? Well, I am. Yeah. There it is. I'm yeah. privileged. You it's guys been, are doing it's been a great fired job up for this. about an hour before you got here. So, oh. yeah, you're here on day one, mate. That's fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate you guys doing what? What is it? 22 episodes now? 22. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it feels way longer. I think we've got about 160. No. So. Oh, really? No. C- come on. How many? Yeah, 160. 160. Oh, well. yeah, there's 20. Where do I get the 22 uh, there's from? There's 22 of our punchies. little sub show. Little oh, that's what I see. Yeah, yeah. 160. Yeah. Talk, talking this about incredible. evolution, right? Evolution. So the punchies, the little punchy ones, came out of evolution of COVID and not being able to have people in to interview. Yeah, very good. So it was like, how do we get some content out? That's pro- good. Although in you saying that, I probably need to make that more clear how that all works <laughs> in the feed. Once again, Adam Picker, thank you. Mate, thank you, guys. Just it's been awesome. One last thing. Yeah. Can you let the guys know, is it a monthly residency for Y2K? Yeah. When yeah. can people see you? We're the starting SSMA? on Friday, 10 o'clock. We've got a, a, a two-hour show that we'll just play straight through once a month for six weeks. Sorry, once a week for the six weeks. Mm. From the 19th of May and then once a month after that till October or November. Okay, somewhere. well, all the best for that. It sounds Thanks, exciting. mate. Um, yeah, we are. We're excited. So um, we're looking forward to it. Right. Well, wait. thanks, Adam. Yeah. Thanks, Mel. Thank you, guys. Appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you.